Thank you for joining us today as we walk shoulder to shoulder, growing in love of the Lord and each other. I'm Pam Marvin. And I'm Megan Silas. And we just invite you to share our podcast with a friend if you think it will bless them, those in the past, or maybe this one today. So what's on the topic today, Megan? Well, we are now in chapter eight of our book, our journey on spiritual friendship through the eyes of the fathers of the church. Uh, And the person we're going to be talking about today, I will admit I had never heard of until I read this chapter. And his name is Theodoret, which I believe means a lover of God in, in Greek. Um, but anyway, uh, he is an interesting uh, fellow because he's actually uh, much less famous than the person he got on the wrong side of, who is St. Cyril of Alexandria. Okay. Uh, apparently, uh, those two uh, came to uh, you know theological blows quite a bit, and um, Theodoret is probably not as well known because he's not really considered one of the strong fathers of the church because he got lured into um, the Nestorian heresy a bit. It was a bit of on the wrong Mm -hmm. side of that for a while. Um, But he did finally uh, condemn it at the Council of Chalcedon. But uh, so he's kind of like one of these not as reliable uh, as far as theologically. Um, But he's another one, uh, as the book tells us, of those, uh, they made me a bishop. stories (laughs) stories <laughs> which i don't know it's it's really interesting i'm wondering we got a lot of great great bishops out of this whole by acclamation of the people being forced to be bishops and one has to wonder maybe if we should reconsider the way we make bishops now cuz mm-hmm. uh, we're we're uh, sometimes struggling in that area but i'll just leave that there <laughs> but we'll anyway so this uh, chapter uh is very very short uh, i think we'll probably not spend too much time in it, but it does speak uh, to the reality that even people who truly do love the Lord and want to serve him uh, can kind of come to places where they don't agree and, and they, uh, they don't see eye to eye and may not actually be friends, you know, as much as it would be beautiful and wonderful in this life uh, for all Christians to walk arm in arm in beautiful, holy, united friendship, it just doesn't always happen. No, you know, no. and and we have to have appropriate expectations about oh, what is is possible in this fallen world. And um, I think that's a place maybe to just speak to when you're in a situation where you just really, really don't get along with somebody and they're a brother and sister in Christ. And, and how do you function in such a way that is still holy, but acknowledges this just isn't going to be a big unity of heart and mind here. And and that to try to pursue a friendship that's more intimate is not going to be fruitful. Right. And I want to acknowledge that the Lord is in the middle of those relationships where you find someone annoying. We always have someone in our lives. Maybe we work with them. Maybe it's someone in our extended family that we find extraordinarily annoying. Well, my friends, the Lord wants to use this relationship to better you, to have you grow in virtue. So no, we shouldn't run from those people. We should embrace them to try and learn, okay, Lord, in your divine providence, you've put this person in my life. 
let me be docile to your inspirations on how to grow in virtue because you put that person there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to constantly put yourself in the person's presence and, and enter into a lot of really difficult conversations that are can devolve no, and not I, be holy. And, I know. see it more as um, an acquaintance. Maybe it's a person in your Bible study. Um, maybe it's just a person that you work with. Um, someone in your, your church community that just kind of gets under your skin, whatever mm. reason that might be. And it's just a abandonment to the divine providence of the interactions. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and something that... Um, we get as an example in this chapter that Theodoret does, which I would say is something we should strive not to do, is I do feel that as it relates to St. Cyril, he did um, <laughs> definitely trip into the place of detraction uh, okay. towards him. And well, so, Let me define that real quick for our, yeah. our listeners. Detraction, if you don't know, is speaking a truth about someone that is less than noble. So, for instance, maybe they had an indiscretion with uh, another person and it was known to you to repeat it, even though it was true. Well, what is true? I'm not lying. No, that's detraction. Anything that takes away from just their human dignity, even if it is a truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we have this quote here. Well, maybe it's we couldn't. Maybe it's not full-on detraction in the sense that we don't know if it's fully true or not. But so Cyril dies, <laughs> and Theodoret writes to another bishop about his passing, and he says this: "The good and the gentle pass away all too soon; the bad prolong their life for years." Great care must then be taken, and it is especially your holiness's business to undertake this duty, to tell the guild of the undertakers to lay a very big and heavy stone upon his grave for fear he should come back again and show his fickle mind once more. <laughs> Ouch! Yeah. So, you know, I think the point here is, is that, that I'm trying to bring up is that you can struggle with a person. You can be driven to the point of, just absolute crazy annoyance towards a person dislike. You could dislike a person. We all, we have to love everybody in the sense we have to desire their good. Otherwise we're falling in, into a sinfulness uh, that is the sin of hate where you truly desire bad things to go towards another person. Like we're not allowed that as Christians. We're not allowed as Christians to wish or desire ill upon another person, no matter how bad they are. Like the Lord is very clear about that, but it doesn't mean we have to like everybody. Well, but we can wish justice upon them. Okay. But justice isn't actually wishing their ill. That's wishing a good through something that may be difficult. Right. Okay. So, cause we would ultimately want conversion, right? Ultimately. The goal of justice should be conversion. Yes. Not punishment for sake, punishment's sake. But a little bit. <laughs> Well, maybe we'll talk about that more in another <laughs> podcast. Okay. But anyway, um, but so, but sometimes when we're in a situation where we really, really truly dislike somebody, I mean, we just, sometimes it happens. It's like the way that they live, the things that they do, the manner that they behave can irk us, bother us, be painful to us so much that we just really dislike somebody. But in our dislike, it's not permissible you know, to be speaking in a way 
that tries to denigrate that person, that is looking to make others not like that person, to, to really just try to drag them down with our speech. And sometimes when we get together, I imagine that Theodoret was friends with this bishop. So he writes, he pops off this letter towards this bishop friend who he knows is like, you know, going to receive it and everything. We have to be careful when we're in our intimate friendships to not allow the comfort and safety of that situation to allow us to speak things that we shouldn't be saying anywhere. Mm -hmm. Right. You know? Yes. Uh, He should never have said that about Cyril. I mean, Mm -hmm. now sometimes we have to... It was attack on the human dignity of Cyril. Right, exactly. Now sometimes we have to acknowledge the realities of a circumstance to a trusted friend or spiritual director and say, you know, this person went, you know, the way they behave, it, it makes me so mad. It hurts me so much. I, I, I don't understand how they can call themselves a Christian and do this. Like you can say that you can, but the goal isn't to convince the other person that this person is yucky, bad, not worthy of respect to defame them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The goal in that situation is to simply express how you're feeling so that you can go beyond that feeling and bring those things to the Lord and ask for the grace to overcome that, you know, so that should be the purpose of any time we are honest about negative things regarding another person. So it's just, we can't allow the comfort and the security and the um, trust in the person's discretion, the friendship that we have to give us license to behave within our friendships towards other people in a way that's unholy. Right. And that the friend who's listening to that should say, wait, hold up. I understand that this circumstance is difficult for you and that you really struggle with this person, but the way you're speaking right now, it's not really the kind of speech that Christ calls us to, especially for another brother or sister in the Lord. We need to, we really do need to be particularly careful about how we speak and behave towards other Christians because it is how we love each other that is a witness to the world that's outside of us. That's a, there's a quote, I forget what it's from, early, early person, maybe Tertullian or something where it's, uh, there's quoting somebody talking about Christians says, look how these Christians love each other. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's not supposed to be just saved for our intimate friends. As a body of believers, as a family in Christ, Mm -hmm. we're meant to show love and respect for each other, even those people we struggle to feel respect for. Right. I actually had um, a a situation very close to this scenario that actually came up in my life. And um, I had someone who was complaining about the way something's done in the church Mm -hmm. and they're very disappointed. They had good reason to be disappointed. You know, it was a good reason to be disappointed. Um, But what I said was, we don't know what we don't know. Right. Like there's always more information there that we're not privy to for the choices being made. And Mm -hmm. especially within the church, you know, um, I think that's really important to know is like, you don't know everything. You don't have all the facts, nor should we mm-hmm. in some cases, but just to realize you don't know 
what you don't know. Right. Yeah. And sometimes when we focus on how what we see as not ideal happening within the church or, you know, in the lives of other Christians um, that, you know, we're bothered by the scandal that it causes and, and it hurts us to, you know, or just makes us angry that, that they're doing what they're doing. Um, instead of focusing on the anger, it's really good to focus on the positive reason for the answer, anger, which is, boy, I sure love the church and I sure want her to live up to who she's called to be in the world. And I want her to be this great witness to the world. And, and what's happening over here is a real challenge to that. It, 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 it hurts my heart to see the witness of the church compromised by these things. And what we can then do when we ground ourselves in that as the reason for our pain or anger or frustration, then we can say, so what can I do to counterbalance the bad witness that's happening there? What's within my power to be a good witness to what it is to be a Catholic in this world? And I'll take one more step in there, um, which is something that I do when I don't know what to do. Instead of being angry, I will pray for God's mercy on that person, especially if it's a clear, um, egregious error against the church and the faith, Mm. and you know that it is. So many people get just flat up angry about it, but there's a part of me that says, oh my goodness, Lord have mercy on their soul, (laughs) you know, to think of that mercy too. And then also, obviously not to really um, kind of repeat, can you believe what they did? Right, yeah. And then, even taking it a step further than to to actually do an act of reparation. Yeah. To, to make Perfect. some choice Megan, of, of sacrifice in one's own life yeah. as a reparation for the thing that's going on over there and also for the conversion of their soul. Right. As, as a matter of fact, I have a friend um, who husband recently had a stroke and she's in the pit of a lot of sorrow and pain and just fear of the unknown about the health of her loved one. And, you know, I say, offer that up for the reparation of sin, yours and the whole world. It's like, we need to do something with our sorrows instead of it being angry. Let the sorrow be that of a, of the bleeding heart of Jesus poured out for us on the cross for reparation of sin. You know, I say oftentimes for myself and all my loved ones, which includes like, Dennis and Megan and all my friends. Yes. All my loved ones, not just my family and definitely my descendants as well. The precious blood will cover them for reparation because there's lots of need for repentance in this world, starting with me. Amen. I'm, you know, just looking at uh, some of these quotes from Theodoret. You know, we talked about his struggles with Cyril, but he did have some, some beautiful um, words about friendship. And one of the things is uh, from one of his letters, I thought was really nice. It kind of reminds me of what I was saying when uh, it's good to encourage your friends and, and tell them the beauty they see mm-hmm. in him. He, in one of his letters, it says, uh, I have many reasons for the affection of mine towards you. First of all, there is the fact that your father, that great and apostolic man, was my father too. 
Secondly, I look upon that truly religious bishop who now rules your church as I might on a brother, both in blood and in sympathy. Thirdly, there is this near neighborhood of our cities. And fourthly, that we meet one another frequently, which naturally begets friendship and increases it when it is begotten. So I love how he's he's talking about what it is that binds me to you and, right. and why I feel drawn to you and the things that we have in common. And And I think one of the things that we do often fall short in and friendship is sometimes it's awkward to just say, wow, I just love this about you. And, and, and this is what draws me to you and, and just be honest about those things in a, in a vulnerable way, just share that because I think sometimes we make assumptions that our friends take for granted the good things that we see about them or the ways that we truly feel bonded to them. And, and so he's basically saying, you know, look, in my mind, we share a father and we have the same brother and, and we we're from, you know, a similar city. So basically what he's saying to you, you're my family. You're in my heart. You're my family. And then, and, and then we get together and every time mm-hmm. we get together, I feel that more, more deeply that the bondedness of that. And, so it's easy to say, oh, you're like a sister to me or you're like a brother to me. That's general. But to say, you're like a sister to me because, or not only are you are my sister and this is why, and, and to kind of flesh those out in our relationships, because what it does is it's an encouragement to the other, but it also, I think, really cements security within the relationship where you don't rely on assumption assumptions of things that the mm-hmm. other person just knows. Yeah. You know, for sure. You know, there's something else in here that the Theodora says, <clears throat> sincere friendships are neither dissolved by distance nor weakened by time. Time indeed inflicts indignities on our bodies, spoils them of the bloom of their beauty and brings <laughs> and on the old age. But, but the most important thing, I think it's so relatable to our times. How many times have you said, you know, that friend of mine from college, it's like when we get together, it's just like no time has ever passed mm-hmm. that my friend is an indication of a true friendship. Yeah. According to Theodore. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, that those things and those feelings are, are very real, but they are going, that relationship is going to tend to kind of, plateau there if there's not more interaction Um, because he does go on in another letter to say true friendship is strengthened by being together that's so true so but he says but separation can't break it for its bonds are strong so it's kind of the both end right like when you have established a firm foundation of friendship um, that's based on truth, especially when it's based on shared love of the Lord, that's going to be a bond that, that connects. And, and, and unless, you know, you run into some of these issues that some of these other guys we talked about in the other uh, chapters run into where you really don't treat each other well, you know, that bond will still remain. But if for, in order for it to be strengthened and deepened, it takes, you know, that interaction. That, right, that physical presence, as we were right. talking about one of the other chapters as well. Physical presence is so important. But, you know, that passage of times. I mean, I have friends that uh, I grew up with, uh, and we got together over a while, and mm-hmm. uh, now we don't get together as much anymore. I'm sad sure. about that, but I understand. Yeah, and there will be seasons in yeah, friendship. for sure. Yeah. All right, well, I think we'll leave that with... Uh, 
Theodoret, the not quite father of the church <laughs> kind of guy. But um, what a what a pleasure to to continue to walk through this book together, and we'll look forward to the next time. All right. So until next time, let's stay united in prayer. God bless. God bless.